Hey guys, welcome to the JK Journey podcast. We're here today for the first of hopefully many podcasts to come where we're giving you specialist tips on how you can improve your performance both on and off the trails, whether you want to be a better athlete, individual, or just enjoy some extra information. Now, I'm Jake. Uh, I'm the head coach here at the JK Journey. I've, I'm a medical student at the University of Exeter. Now, I've got a 10 plus year training and coaching history in all things sort of physical physical fitness, triathlon, endurance sport, and, um, and it's really that that I'm here to share with you. Um, I'm also joined today by uh, Agung and James, who are our two other guys behind the scenes at the JK Journey. So, Agung? Hi, uh, um, I'm Agung. Um, like Jake, I'm uh, also a medical student at ex-uni. Um, and also like Jake, I'm um, the Welsh duathlon champion in my dreams. Um, but really, I'm just, a, I'm just a road cyclist. I'm, I've been riding for quite a short time, really, for about three years. I'll try, try and maybe dabble in some triathlon if I, if um, Jake convinces me to. Yeah, and I think that Agung's underselling himself there. He's he's a captain of the university club. He spent a lot of time uh, really working with new athletes and uh, helping people bring people into the sport. And and beyond that, he really does a lot in terms of uh, life as a medical student and pushing a healthy and active lifestyle, which we're really happy to have him here with as community manager for the JK Journey. So um, we're also here with James. Hi everyone, uh, I'm James. I'm working sort of behind the scenes in this, supporting Jake and Agung. I guess next to the two of them, I'm the I'm the amateur amateur athlete, so I'm you know keep fit and healthy, but I've got no sort of accolades to my name like these two do, and I'm just here to here to support. Yeah, exactly that. And um and today on the podcast we've got uh Mike who, who is the endurance physio by his uh, trade name, and he's here today as a our professional speaker to talk about static stretching and the sort of myth busting around that so should you be doing it as an endurance sport athlete or even is it worth your time generally um now mike is a is a very special individual and we're happy to have him on at the jk journey podcast now mike is a former military pti um he spent time doing semi-professional football um before getting into uh his career as a physio but around that, he's also got some pretty incredible achievements. He's done channel swims. He's done over 20 Ironmen, uh, double Ironmen, triple Ironmen. And, and around that, he's done continental cycles and, and sort of everything in between. So a more rounded physio and endurance sport, I think we're hard pushed to find. And that's why it's great to have him on here. Um, so, yeah, first things, we're going to talk a little bit about the community and life back at the JK Journey before getting into that. So, James, uh, let's roll on. on what, what have you got for us this week? Yeah, cheers, Jake. So this week we've, we've got a theme of the week is Veganuary, uh, starting with the new in the new year. And um, within that, we've got our challenge, which is to make a healthy vegan meal. And uh, we competed to see who, who got best. And do you know the winner for this week, Jake? Yeah, we picked out a couple that that blew us away a little bit. So we had Amy with a with a very uh, extravagant uh, sort of pepper plate, I would call it. Um, and then beyond that, we also had Andy. So Andy's uh, one of our premium sort of athletes and he's currently in the midst of training for his uh, 70 half Ironman uh, in 70 days, which is no mean feat, but he's he's decided well and has taken on being vegan throughout. And, and he again sent it in a lovely dish. Uh, filled with filled with everything you could need to fuel that sort of training so props going out to those guys for some pretty incredible dishes now yeah, um, if looking at if looking at his dish didn't make you want to go vegan i don't know what would what, what will exactly and uh 
And so we've got a couple of nice challenges lined up for next week, which we can definitely get into. Um, but on to the topic. So today, Mike is Mike is on to talk about all things stretching. Um, it's great to have Mike on. Uh, he's going to give you a little bit of a background to himself um, and to his history, both as a physio and as an athlete. Um, and I think you'll see that he has a pretty remarkable uh, list of achievements, both professionally and and in his his own extracurricular activities to his name. So uh, we'll welcome Mike on now, and uh, we hope you enjoy the podcast with a little Q and A at the end. Brilliant. Thanks, Jake. Yeah, well, welcome everyone. It's the first of many of these, hopefully, that we'll do. I'll delve a little bit into my background shortly, just as a one-off. I won't do it every time I talk, but um, but just to give you a bit of a background over how I've ended up being where I am today. Um, static stretching is is a funny one. It's one of the I do lots of these talks and webinars, and there's some that I'm always a little bit more on edge about. And this is certainly one of those. It's um, controversial. It can be decisive, uh, divisive. People have got very strong opinions for and against it. So have I. Um, I lay my biases out at the start. I'm not a big advocate of it. And if I'm honest, when I started doing this talk many years ago about this, I was trying to change people's minds. I was trying to make people stop stretching or do more important things, perhaps. I have mellowed over the years. Some of that is age, evidence, maturity. But a lot of it is very much, it was probably the wrong approach. It was it was fighting fire with fire. And when you start to understand why some athletes, coaches, therapists even have such strong, deep-rooted beliefs about stretching and where that's come from, the influence of other people who they hold near and dear, then, then it is something that needs to be drip-fed. So that's very much what tonight is. It's a an opinion sharer that's hopefully a thought provoker, a discussion stimulator for you, for you to go away and have a little think about it. Um, hopefully you'll see at the end that my um, opinion on it now has mellowed a little bit. It's it's not as liberal as some might want, but um, but it's it's there for people to to little think to think about it. So a little bit about me, just just to get going, just understand where my journey in this has evolved to this. Um, I am probably twice, if not older than twice as old, if not more than most of you on this call. Um, I've been in and around endurance sports for over a quarter of a century. Um, my journey started as an athlete and as a professional about the same time. My background is personal training. Then I spent about 15 years in the military as a physical training instructor and rehab instructor. Again, predominantly working with endurance-based athletes professionally in a military capacity. And I've broached and branched into different areas since then, sports science, coaching, therapy, strength conditioning, um, and then finally into physio. And as Jake said, I now, although I've worked in various aspects of healthcare in private and the public sectors, now I run my own business called the Endurance Physio, um, where I exclusively work with endurance athletes from professional down to novice, from Olympic level down to recreational park runners. Um, and I also spend a large chunk of my time teaching and educating athletes, coaches, therapists working in this space about some of the things that will help athletes get better or prevent them getting injured in the first place. Um, but I come from a, an endurance athlete background. I still compete. I've, I've done everything from 
marathon to ultra marathon to multi-event days from sprint triathlon to Ironman, double Ironman. I've swum the channel. I've done multi-day cross-continent bike rides. So I've dabbled with a bit of everything. So whether it's a therapist, a coach or an athlete, I've got a bit of an insight into all this, which I think collectively gives me quite a nice view down the line, 25 years down the line of, of the things that we've got right and wrong over the years, largely a lot through the balance of evidence and research with trial and error of myself and, and my athletes my, uh, as we go along. So let's move on to the, the topic at hand and, and static stretching. So the caveat being, and I'll probably touch on this again as we go through, I'm exclusively putting my, my sights here on static stretching, those long, slow holds that we would do. We're not talking about dynamic stretching or ballistic work or other forms of stretching. I'll definitely tip my hat to those in a much more positive light. What I'm really talking about here is the regimented, routinely employed action before or after exercise or around exercise during your rest and recovery days and periods of holding prolonged stretches and is it really worth doing? Is there other things you should be doing? Or, or is this even doing what we think it is? And behind the scenes, many of you may not be aware of it, but behind the scenes for many years, there's been a battle raging. And it's very much between these polarized opinions. Those who swear blind that it's the right thing and it's the absolutely most important thing you should do. Rightly or wrongly, their interpretation of the evidence and certainly their dissemination and portrayal of that evidence against those then who maybe have a completely opposite argument. So again, may have made the same mistakes of taking some evidence and extrapolating more than they should, or definitely just being very passionate that there's, there's other things that, that should be taking priority or holding rank over it. And as I say, I've been in discussions, debates, and downright arguments over the years in all sorts of forums. And, um, and it is a tough one. It's not one that I want to call out unsubstantiated claims per se anymore. I think there's more nuance to it than that. But probably a good way to start off is to look at some of these myths that perpetuate over the years of, of why maybe we believe so deep-rooted that static stretching for endurance athletes or any sportsman really, or even general health, is as fundamentally important as many have made it out to be. And generally, it comes down to these sort of four to six sort of topics. Um, one was that, you know, if you don't stretch, injury was inevitable. We'll come on in a little bit to whether the, the evidence supports this or not. But, um, but that is why a lot of people think I need to stretch or you should stretch. And I coach children's football and I still, you know, when I remember going both on my British triathlon course, on my athletics coaching course, on my... Um, swim teachers award and now on my junior football coaching award and these national governing bodies still having a syllabus that tells you to you know static stretching is what you do before what you do after and one of the main reasons we do it is is to prevent injury coupled with that the one that normally piggybacks on the back of that is you will not perform as well if your muscles are cold and tight and stiff again we then sort of perpetuate a little bit this this argument that well, then you're going to fail to recover. And if you fail to recover, your performance is going to be doomed later on and you're going to be full of delayed onset muscle soreness. And then generally, and probably 
from my professional opinion, the most alarming of all of these, big powerhouse sort of statements from some of the main players in the fitness and health world, like the American College of Sports Medicine, that for decades upon decades have suggested that stretching and flexibility is a pillar of our fitness. And it was literally stated as that for about 50 to 70 years. And it's only in recent years, uh, a couple of studies have come out where they've challenged that and we'll see if it changes at their sort of pillars of fitness level. But again, the argument being that if you were inflexible, it would be detrimental to your overall health. Many physical issues would, would um, be manifested or, or exaggerated with a degree of inflexibility. But likewise, then, this notion that if you stretch, you'll be bulletproof. And, and we know there's very little in the world that makes athletes bulletproof. But it's not this magical elixir. And I think when I talked about my old attitude to, to butt in heads with people and being quite aggressive on this one, I definitely used to jump on my soapbox about stretching. It was because of that. It was because it was trying to counter this attitude and, and philosophy that it was an elixir of some kind. It was some magic thing that suddenly made us bigger, better, stronger athletes and, and people, and that it deserved a seat at the top table of sports science and, and, and sports medicine and the interventions that we should be advocating. And, and it certainly didn't, doesn't, is starting to be, um, be questioned. There's a really fantastic website if people want to know more about in-depth research around a lot of these topics called painscience.com. And um, the guy who runs that, Paul Ingram, has, has stated in the past, and I really like the wording he used. He, um, he says that um, most athletes, most sportsmen will go through stretching on a daily basis as some sort of mantra or ritual that they simply go through because they've just been told it's what they should be doing. And, and if we can scratch the surface of should they be doing it or not, maybe we'll change some of the, the ritualistic approach that some people have towards it. Um, but I guess the other thing that I, I used to get a little bit animated about was the way that therapists particularly and coaches of a certain generation, and it was not done with intent by them. We believed in the 70s, 80s, early 90s that it was as important as, as we thought it was. But these people have continued then to maybe make outlandish claims about it. Stretching's breaking down tissue adhesions, it's breaking down scar tissue, it's releasing tissues, it's lengthening things to improve posture, which as evidence changes and the world evolves, we learn that those things probably can't happen. And, and if we can do them, it's probably not because of the mechanisms we thought. It's much more to do with playing with our central nervous system and, and demodulating things rather than tissue level changes per se. And we tried to investigate some of these myths and see what where we were with them. And these are sort of, in my world, these are quite seminal studies of the last sort of 10, 15 years where when you question public health forums and you start investigating why people, what people think will lead to good health or can be detrimental to good health, you'll still see the average person saying in the street that, yeah, I, I need to stretch more or that wouldn't, that pain would go away if you would stretch a bit more. And again, a really interesting one in our world, Sarah Giotto et al., they did a huge study specifically on runners and, and specifically on injured runners. And the number one belief of why they believed they were injured was because they weren't stretching enough. 
when the, the counter argument is you, the people saying that are potentially um, stretching too much in, in the first place anyway. And then these issues get magnified. And this is the problem that I'm always trying to, trying to fight. People in positions of authority, and I don't mean that in a bad way, I mean head coaches at running in triathlon clubs, um, leading figures in the therapy world have, have doubled down on the narratives that these people have said that stretching is fundamentally really important and a necessity. You'll also see elite and pro athletes, you'll see social media influencers, again, all advocating, you know, the best stretch for the number one stretch for you must do this for that or whatever. And people believe it. And, and we don't really know the motives behind it. Are people being incentivized some way financially or promotionally to back things that maybe they don't fully believe? I know of the cases where that's happened. Are people um, keeping up to date with the evidence that are magnifying these issues? And then, of course, as we know, sometimes you can read something on, um, online, not understand the full context of, of the research or the article that it's quoted or cited from. And we extrapolate things that we've not really done the deep dive into to find out if it's true or not. But overall, it leads to this exaggeration and explosion of people's attitudes in and around it. And what this means at the end of the day, and this is the important thing for you guys listening, is that it's just confusing, frustrating, and difficult for athletes to understand what they should or shouldn't be doing. And most of us, unfortunately, don't have the luxury of being professionals. And again, I've often said, you know, a, a really good example of this is um, a couple of years ago, Chris Froome had his really nasty accident, multiple injuries, multiple fractures, lots of surgery. And I know for a while he was documenting his rehab journey. And on some of his Instagram videos, I think they were, then, then you know, yes, he was being stretched to, from pillar to post passively by a therapist. He was doing lots of passive modalities that sometimes are over-exaggerated for their effects. He was doing lots of active stretching. And it'd be very easy to take a snapshot of that and go, well, Chris Froome does it, I better do it. But what people aren't seeing is that Chris Froome's a full-time athlete with a world at his feet as far as resources go. So you've not seen the strength work he's done that day. You've not seen all the active stuff he's been doing. And when you work in that population, you throw the kitchen sink at them because they're assets that are worth huge amounts of money both to the company or the organization, but also as an earning capacity. So sponsors and team managers and, and people are really up against it to get these people back. And professional sport can often mean that, that some of these things are um, seen through a different lens that doesn't quite apply to us lot. We're all working. Some of us may have families. We've got our training to get in. So when we see someone doing something, we think, well, perhaps I should do that but maybe we've missed some of the bigger things. If he's doing, I often use a quote where I say, you know, that there's the, the, the famed marginal gains concept from Sky and, and Team Sky. The reason the last 5% makes such a difference to them is because they've nailed the 95% that we normally don't nail. They've done all the nutrition, the sleep, the proper training and recovery. So the little marginal gains do make a difference. But most of the people I see chasing the 5% at the end of the day are probably only getting 50 to 60% of the big things. They're not filling, if you took an empty glass jar 
and you filled it or you did to fill it as quick as you could. Putting big rocks into it would be much more sensible than putting grains of sand and small pebbles. And as, as a, you know, spoiler alert for what's coming towards the end, that's where I'm pretty much sitting with this. Some of these messages the athletes were getting was that the stretching element, static stretching was a big rock. It was a fundamental thing that needed to be primarily put into their jars. When actually where it probably sits is that it's pebbles and sand and we're not, and, and we need to get the big rocks in first. Then I'm quite happy. This is where I've mellowed. Then we get to the point of, well, do you know what? If you're doing all the good stuff, potentially you um you could get some benefit from this if you feel it benefits you because you've got all the most important things in place. So um, the other thing that compounds the, the mixed messages and the confusion for the athletes is the whole thing around dosage. How often, how much, how far, how, how long should you hold? Which stretches should you do? And, and again, pro probably not for the remit of today as far as the specifics. We can certainly chat about it a little bit in the Q&A. But, um, but all mixed messages, some people will say you should do it for 90 seconds to two minutes. Some people should be 10 seconds lots of times through the day. Um, you know, all, all of these different narratives that make it really hard and, and confusing. So what I wanted to spend 10 minutes or so doing was, was in a way of busting some of these myths and, and just enlightening people a little bit more is, now, well, let's look at those claims and let's tell you a little bit of the consensus of these, these um, research and articles that are out there. We won't go into heavy reference-based sort of literature for the next 10, 15 minutes, but um, I can certainly signpost the people to the re relevant articles if they want. But let's just break down some of those claims that they make. So this obviously is the one I'm most passionate about as, as a physio, is this whole injury prevention side of it. Now, with this one, the evidence is strong, but it's not strong that it's supportive of preventing injury. It's strong in that we cannot say at any stretch of the imagination that stretching prevents or reduces the chances of injury. Certainly, when we're looking at recreational age group athletes, one of the good things to do is to see what trends and what things are happening in the professional world. And what we're starting to see now is that professional sports are moving away from static stretching. A really good example is the Australian Ballet Academy or Society. Um, you know, professional ballet dancers who synonymously are linked them, them and gymnasts to me are probably the two sports that are most closely linked with the act, the ritual act of static stretching. And the Australian ballet have now removed static stretching from their athletic preparation. They now go for much more dynamics and more sort of movement-based patterns of movement rather than hours upon end of static stretching. And when we come to talking about the dosage, when we do see an effect from static stretching, a lot of it comes from this field. It comes from the dance and the gymnast world. And realistically, again, what we're talking about is, is even if, evidence suggests the supporting nature of something. The practicalities of it often are the limiting factor, and that's what's not often discussed. So we see positive effects with, with stretching for ranges of movement, improvement, if you do six hours a day for six days a week for about six months. So that's not feasible for most of us. So, so we're talking marginal improvements that have no significant statistical or clinical benefit but done at a level that's much more um, 
uh, involved than most of us can afford to do anyway. We start to see that there's little notion that it reduces uh, or prevents muscle soreness. Um, yeah, if you jump on Google now for five minutes, you'll see multiple therapists and running groups and professional setups still saying, make sure you stretch in your warm up, it'll stop you getting sore afterwards. We just can't support this with the evidence that's out there right now. What it may do when it comes to muscle soreness, and this is quite an important thing, is rather than reduce it, it can often give you a different interpretation of the perception of tightness. So, so that's a good thing. That's something that may be relevant when we finish up with our, our take-homes. Potentially, there's a benefit to doing it because it makes you feel a bit less stiff and tight. Maybe that makes you feel a little bit less stiff and sore, and that may be something that's worth thinking of involving it if you're someone who feels stiff and sore after training. But what we can't say with it is that biologically, a tissue level or physiologically, there's anything going on as a mechanism of a static stretch that will be reducing the, the actual breakdown of tissue and the, the um, onset of muscle soreness. And of course, when it comes then, and I've touched on it there with, with some of the claims you see, there's a disparity between the evidence supporting static stretching for preventing injury or reducing the risk of it, coupled with the marketing, you know, the super tanker of, of the, the industry that's out there selling products or, or um, techniques that, um, that will be uh, linked to, to static stretching as, as having a positive thing. When it comes to runners and triathletes, I, I probably genuinely struggle to think of a, a more common practice that the, ev the available evidence dismisses so categorically, if I'm honest, that is still held in such strong belief by, by so many people. So, um, so hopefully that, that gives that point across. The whole claim about it being a pillar of fitness and something that was negative if you lacked flexibility and a really good thing if you had again the evidence doesn't suggest that um, tight muscles will be lengthened and be made more flexible um, it doesn't really give us any um, evidence to support that health improvements with being you know um, certainly if we look at common injuries common health conditions we see no evidence or link that people don't get them if, they, if they're flexible and do get them if they don't. Now, when we come to, um, to talking about runners or um, endurance athletes in general, then I always ask the question is, are we really tight? Now, why I say that a lot of the time is I genuinely believe a lot of endurance athletes can feel tight. I, I get athletes all the time. My, my hamstrings feel really tight. My calves feel really tight. Now, if they come into clinic, they get on the plinth, and I assess them with some standard muscle length testing, they've got full range of movement, they've got no restriction, no anything, no neural tightness, nothing. But they feel tight. So I'm often a big fan then of, of trying to steer them down the route of, I genuinely believe you that you feel tight. But to me, what you are is weak and fatigued. Because if I then support the, the, the assessment I've done, if I support that with a strength-based test, often we see deficits in what we'd like them to be in a general population testing capacity, but specifically, again, then even more so in an athletic test capacity. So you could argue then that those people who feel tight in the calves, tight in the hamstrings, but lack an, 
an inflexibility under testing, maybe they would feel less tight, less stiff if we were stronger and a more robust athlete. So there's that argument of, you know, again, okay, so you tell me you stretch for 20 minutes a day. Do you do any strength work? No, I don't do any strength work. So we get to that point where I'm like, well, maybe for you, there's a, there's a bigger rock that we need to put in your jar, something that's going to fill this time a little bit more, more benefit, more sort of successfully and more, more benefit to you. The second thing that I'm always keen on when you look at my logo there you know it's rehab and performance you know i work with plenty of athletes in a performance enhancement role regardless of, of any injury that's going on and um when we look at this and we look at the evidence again for this then ultimately everybody wants to perform faster further more effectively and we believe again this deep-rooted belief that static stretching can help us improve this but we just don't see it in the evidence we assess the evidence base we see that it not only does it not improve performance but there are now schools of thought and, and arguments that it can be detrimental to performance again if we look at a running sort of um, example then being stiffer sometimes having more stiff mechanics around the tendons and the joints is a more beneficial element of our running mechanics than being flexible we know that if we stretch a muscle and then try to do a strength test immediately after often there's a delayed reaction of the muscle system to respond so we can sometimes fail to produce the power that we want to for a period of time it's only uh, transient for a period of time but it's enough time that if we were doing a big stretch session prior to a fast 5k a sprint triathlon, something along those lines, then it may be enough to, to reduce our performance a little bit. And that then may lead, may again, it's all sort of hypothesis, may lead to some increased injury risk. So, so performance is, is um, really important. When it comes to the endurance athlete, the question that I always say when I speak to people who are ritualistically stretching is, tell me why you think you need to stretch. And a lot of them will, will say it's because I think I'm tight or it's going to cause injuries if I don't. But a lot of people will say, oh, it's because I need as much range of movement as I, as I can. But if you look at it, you know, other than a top-end sprint and the hamstrings, knee, hip in particular, there's very few positions or demands in any endurance sport that require us to be anywhere outside 20, 30% either way of mid-range. What we should be is stronger and stiffer in the ranges that we work in rather than trying to develop more. Yes, do I get swimmers and cyclists who come into clinic and they're very restricted in their sort of thoracic spine and could they be better at performing if they had more? Absolutely. But they're not tight and it's not static stretching that will be the big answer to that. It's, it's a whole mobility more than flexibility domain that I'm trying to... Um, trying to work on so again it's you know it, it's easy for me to sit here um, and argue or suggest that you know we've got this evidence base that says we're, we're not wasting our time is probably um too strong it's a bit of a clickbaity title but but is there better things we should be spending our time on rather than um strengthening uh, stretching and yes is my answer to that but but it'd be remiss of me or I wouldn't be very professional to not support that with why don't you try this instead? So certainly when it comes to the warm-ups, the cool downs, whatever you want to do there is 
you know, the, the whole dynamic mobility stuff, the, the mobility range of movement, the whole ramp approach of sort of, you know, raising the pulse and accelerating some movement, doing some mobility and then some prep work may be a more appropriate plan. If you are someone who's maybe a fan of uh, football or rugby, if you turn on old Sky Sports on a Sunday afternoon, about 20 minutes for kickoff, you'll see much of the, the team and the squad going through some of these drills pre-game on the pitch. And you'll see very few of them these days are stood on the spot doing the classic old sort of quad and hamstring stretches. They may look like they're doing a little bit, but generally it's more of a dynamic, ballistic type movement. And of course, things in this world come full circle. When I first started working in the 90s, then ballistic stretching was the demon. We'd love doing it in the 70s and 80s. And now don't go near that. It's awful for you. Now, 25 years later, we're here going, well, maybe it's a better thing than static stretching. So, so maybe we'll go full circle again on this. You know, is just doing a light swim bike run enough? Some would argue it is. If we're looking at doing um, some non-sporting warm-up, cool-down activity, it's not prep stuff, it's more general approach to preparation, recovery, post-rock, then, you know, get the big rocks right first. I see people all the time who will say to me, I've got 20 minutes a week, Mike, to do something and I stretch or I foam roll or I use a massage gun because I feel stiff and tight. But there's big gaps in their training. There's big gaps in their rest and recovery. There's big gaps in their nutrition and their sleep. There's big gaps in their sort of um, strength work and things like that. So again, focus on those things first. Lengthening under load is an option that uh, I think a lot of people could maybe benefit from. So if you're someone, again, who feels stiff in the um, hamstring is a good example, rather than doing loads and loads of these hamstring stretches, which we don't see the, the evidence supports us to do, why don't you do something like a deadlift or a lunge where you're doing some strength development, but that muscle is, by definition, lengthening under load. Now, when I start sprinting, maybe my hamstring will feel more robust, more resilient to the demands of the sport I'm doing because it's good, it's better at getting longer under tension rather than just being passively pulled on both ends um, and, and having, at best, probably a um, psychological benefit rather than a physical benefit. And then, of course, you know, there's other things, and I'm not saying any of these are brilliant in their own right, but you're seeing a much bigger switch and, you know, it's a big bloody tip of the hat to, to you guys at JK straight away. Things like yoga. We're starting to see these in all aspects and levels of sport becoming much more mainstream as a way of developing movement, a way of developing function. And these things, again, don't forget, we're all athletes, but we're all humans as well. So long-term, lifelong fitness and health is as important to all us or should be as important to all of us and those that we coach and work with as well as performance and, and um, endurance. So thinking about maybe incorporating some of those things into things are easy, good ways to maybe find an alternative. And whilst now obviously COVID has had so many negative impacts on the world, it's had lots of positives. It's allowed people to experience and open their eyes about doing online classes online workshops in these sort of things so you know, if your time's poor and you're struggling to get to places then there's ways and means to do these things as you go along 
So starting to wrap it all up in the, in the final two slides, um, where do I sit with this now? You know, do I still advocate that athletes don't need to start static stretch? Pretty much. Okay. If you're coming back from quite a severe muscle strain, if you're coming back from some long layoff, if you're coming back from some sort of injury, will there potentially be a little bit of static stretching in my programs at some point? Maybe, but it's very specific and short term for certain people. Um, I'm still quite staunch in resisting the claim that injury risk is reduced or performance is enhanced by people doing static stretching. And what I try really hard to do is just give exactly what I've done in a bite-sized way today of delivering that sort of evidence. I'm not forcing it on anyone. It's look, this is what we know from the available science today of what it does and doesn't do, may well change. But for now, that's what the evidence is. And it's up to you as athletes or coaches to now work out if it's something that you think is beneficial or important for you or your athletes. Because ultimately, when it comes to bang for your buck, what, you know, what are the biggest things that make the most difference to your athletes? It just probably doesn't creep on that list for most athletes. Um, but as I've always said, you know, it, it is important to understand that there's deep-rooted beliefs. There's lots of reasons why people professionally or personally absolutely hang their hat still on static stretching role models mentors coaches uh, idols all of those people who may have, have influenced your belief system over the years so if an athlete tells me that it feels good and they think it helps them then i tell them to carry on rather than telling them to stop and do the things that i think are more important i try my real hardest with them to collaborate to find a way where we may be able to find a happy medium. Okay, that 20 minutes you said you had a day available, that was all stretching. Could we possibly try doing 10 minutes of stretching and 10 minutes of something else? Because if we can find that and you feel they're both working, then ultimately there's always the X factor. And if someone turns up on the start line ready to perform or can carry on training because they think something's helping, then you know what, what we... Apart from that little bit of, of discussion where I said we thought that potentially um, there may be a, a potential deficit on um, performance with, with stretching prior to exercise, then ultimately all the reading and research I've done over the years, there's not many blatantly negative effects from static stretching. It's not going to make you a worse athlete. It's not going to hold you back. So if you are someone who thinks it's helpful and you want to do it, as long as we're getting the other stuff right, then then please do. You know, I've, I've, since Christmas, even I've I've dealt with an athlete who um, came to me in a coaching capacity, and lots of things we could have been doing better, but was ritualistic in making themselves do twenty minutes of stretching every night before bed, but stayed up till gone midnight most nights binge watching Netflix. So we're just, you know, look, whatever little benefit you're getting from stretching, go to bed two hours bloody earlier and, and you'll probably feel better tomorrow than if you're doing that. If you can go to bed two hours earlier and you want to do a bit of stretching, then, then please do. But, um, but that's the, the whistle-stop tour for it. There's, um, there's lots more of that evidence that, I, again, I'm happy to delve into and share or go into any questions that anyone might have now. But, um, but that's the overview. It's... Um, it's probably over-exaggerated, over-extrapolated for what it does do. 
Um, and we should probably think a bit more about what, what we want to do instead. But if someone wants to do it and they think it helps, we probably should let them. Yeah, and, and I agree with, with the vast, vast majority of that. That was a really awesome talk. Um, the, um, yeah, that was, that was really good. Um, I want to initially open up to any questions. Uh, I've got a few written down, but if um, anyone's got any thoughts, then. James had his hand up, I think. Yeah, I think it was a bit of a uh, yeah, I was I was just putting the clap in to say that I really enjoyed that and it was it was a it, it was really good to listen to. Thanks. I'm not much of a I'm not much of an athlete myself, so I I just sort of go along blindly and do my stretches like I'm told. Um, so it's interesting to hear that actually I'm not really adding much help to myself doing it. Yeah, and it's a it's a really interesting point because as much as I've had resistance of athletes in the past you do get a population of athletes who almost feel liberated from this information. It's yeah. almost like, a, oh, cool. I, you know, and again, it, it's when you look at the performance side, the uh, classic lunchtime runner, or, you know, I've got mm -hmm. 30, I got 40 minutes every lunchtime to run. And I'm sick of it because I do 10 minutes of stretching and a 30 minute run. Yeah, I can't run any better. They suddenly go, so what you're telling me is I'd be better off sometimes maybe just doing an easy 40 minutes rather than the 10 minutes on the, on the run. Yeah, probably. Brilliant. I've just gained, yeah, gained 10 minutes back on my session. Yeah, so, and it's uh, not the most exciting thing to do with yourself anyway. If you've got no. like, plans to go and do some fun running and you have to stand there beforehand. Yeah. So, yeah, great news. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That. And, and, and my, my use of uh, static stretching as a coach is I, I, I sort of, often try to implement it into like a prehab session on or so like on a on a recovery day as such when when I feel feel like an athlete is particularly busy and they're trying to trying to do something to benefit their training but I want them to have a really easy day. I'm doing things like those gentle drills or gentle exercises and followed by some static stretching so they feel like they're doing something. Um, and I guess that goes back completely to what your point about if you feel like it's benefiting you then and keep doing it that way. Now, what are your thoughts as a, as a coach? Because I know that you, you do a lot of it yourself, and like you said, with your um, with your son and, and through the years and various aspects. Is, do you bypass now what those national governing bodies say, or, or do you still keep it in there as that sort of social element? And that? Yeah, so, so that is exactly the nuance that I was chatting about. Wait, this can't be a black and white yes or no answer. You know, I, I think... Um, one of the best answers you can ever give to these sort of discussions, but the least helpful answer is it depends. And, you know, it's a classic one. Again, if you've got a alpha male athlete who you know, or female, obviously just alpha personality, who you know absolutely struggles with rest and recovery. And the likelihood is if you've just got rest day down in the diary, they're going to add another session on, and that's going to have a real negative consequence on the next day and the day after and so on and so on. Or you're in a taper or something like that. Absolutely. Then, you know, guys jump on the floor, do some stretches then if you want. Or, um, you know, I, I, I've got a guy right now who's with me purely for a, a winter strength conditioning plan and says to me the hardest part for him. Now we're in, we're in sort of five set of five rep, heavy resistance month now. And he says, you know, those longer rest mint gaps of 
two, three minutes between sets is really frustrating for me. I lose interest. Cool. Chuck some stretches in if you want to. When you've done an hamstring stretch on each leg, go into your next set. All right, brilliant. It, it just keeps their attention and keeps them focused. The secret is, and this is where I get comfortable with it, it's just what you tell them it is and isn't doing. You know, as long, as long as I'm not saying, look, you will lift more weight if you do an hamstring stretch in between. Mm-hmm. That, that's wrong. Or you cannot run if you don't do a stretch first. As long as you're avoiding those silly statements, absolutely do it. It's not, it's not the devil. It's not evil. It's not going to, you know, it's not, and again, sometimes you, um, probably the biggest challenge in the last 10 years for me is, um, really working hard. I think strength training has become my new stretching argument. And, and there's lots of things with that, which I'm sure we'll talk about on another one where um, that isn't as black and white as a lot of people make out good or bad ways. But generally, I think athletes should, if they could, do a bit more strength training than they do. Now, I might know somewhere down the line, certainly in, in an in a injury capacity way, Someone's come to see me with a problem. And I think the answer for them at some point involves some sort of implementation of long-term strength work beyond rehab strength. And I know at some point I need to have one of those awkward conversations when we've built enough rapport to, to challenge that belief with him. If part of building that rapport up is zipping my mouth and letting them stretch because they think stretching helps, absolutely I'm going to sit there and think bigger picture there's more benefit to be gained in having that argument with them than sort of now losing an argument with them over something else so completely still again I never prescribe it I think that's the key here I I never say to anyone do a stretch what I do is keep an open mind if someone wants to do it about whether they should could how what it does what it doesn't do and what that might lead to later on Yeah, 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 that's, that's brilliant. Again, and um, following on again from a point in the talk was that you, you came back to a few times this time. If someone had that 20 minutes extra in, in their training schedule, how, how would they implement it? And, and you do, you do, you did sort of state that it, it does have some place in plans, as in, as in how we discussed here. Um, but I, I just wanted what, what would you recommend for when people have those 20 minute gaps? Would it be a mat in the middle of the day, or would it be a uh, a bit of food meal prep? Or I mean, obviously, it's a very individual, it's a very it, individual thing. But, know the answer? It depends. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. But, it. but again, you know, it it, it um it would be different things to different athletes. It would be different things for the same athlete at different times. So obviously, you know, if, if you're in a in a really heavy training phase, then sleep and nutrition may be the key things I'd want people to focus on. However, maybe you're on a training camp somewhere and we have spiked that training with intent and purpose and we do feel bloody stiff and sore. And if you need a rub down or you want to stretch or you, cool, let's do some more stretching then. Again, it could be that someone is um, in their six-week big phase of training. They've got months of preparation behind them. We're going into a taper at the end, and we expect at that point that something's going to feel a bit stiff and sore. And if they say to me, look, my calves always get hurt. When I'm in this bit of it, I'm doing my 80-mile weeks or whatever, then, you know, yeah, my calves hurt. Cool. Put some stretching in then. But what I don't want you to do 
is lose the twice weekly strength sessions. So for you, keep doing the 20 minutes as your strength sessions. But what I want you to do is every time you get up to go to the toilet or every time you put the kettle on or every time you're doing something, do some of your stretches while the kettle's boiling. Or if you work at home or whatever, you know, go over to the stairs, stretch calf off, come back, crack on then. So it's again, how can we fit it in without being unrealistic in their day, but without being uh, an either or situation with something that's more important? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And I'm jumping between topics here just because I know that we've taken up quite a lot of time here. Um, I've got two other bits that we've written down, and then they both come from athletes who have coached in the past and, and just bits like this. But they're always conversations that I didn't necessarily know how best to approach. But one is, is that it's quite interesting, it's based on the, the book that I'm reading at the moment as well, which is sort of like The Lost Art of Running, and it talks about fascia and all that sort of, that, that sort of side to it. And efficiency and one of the questions i got asked a few weeks ago was um if i'm stretching uh so much is it going to sort of have that negative performance effect of making reducing the tension in for example my calf or things like that and, and giving me less spring as we as we go in, into our stride and, and i thought is do you have any insight or, or knowledge that that is a significant thing yeah, so again, other than that sort of um, immediate transient thing, and again, with this, the evidence we see, it's, it's, it's that we, you know, let's do a prolonged stretch and then get you straight running and assess you when you're running. So we know there's, there's potential negatives there for some people transiently, and again, in a, in a performance way. And realistically, we're talking performance at a, a, a maximal level. So could potentially... An Olympic 100-meter sprinter with the margins being so small between success and failure for them be detrimentally affected by a, a, a prolonged stretch? Maybe. Would it affect most of us over a park run or a sprint triathlon? Absolutely not. Um, as far as the long-term stuff goes, then it, it would be unfeasible for most people to do the amount of stretching they would need to do to possibly even contemplate it having a negative effect on, on other things. If you think about the way our bodies are made over time and how, and how it is, our bodies are far too robust to be influenced that easily by something so small. You know, if, if we could change fundamentally the, the dynamics of the body through just doing some stretches, then you know, there's, there's another therapist out there who, who, who in a very crude and, and rough way tries to get his point over about um, what may happen to certain points of a, of a, of a man's body over time with prolonged stretching um, and, and that that doesn't be seen in the evidence. So, so I'd say no to most of that. Um, on, on a little tangent, the whole fascia story, you know, we, we've, we've gone again down one of these very guru-led... Um, nice hypothesis, nice in theory about this fascial system. And if we do this and this, how it's all linked, and maybe we'll do, do another one of these on, on fascia. But again, we're coming out the other side of that rainbow now where we're starting to go, we weren't quite right there, were we? We extrapolated a hell of a lot that we can't really support with the evidence. And again, you know, whatever we think fascia does or doesn't do at this stage, you're not going to influence it by... Um, by stretching, you know, the pretty much the only way we can deform fascia is with a scalpel. So, um, so, so we ain't going to do it by stretching. And a really good example, um, 
as far as that sort of long-term stuff. We did, um, we, we took um, cadaveric Achilles. So uh, we took an Achilles from, from a, a dead body and we wanted to see how much tension or force we could deform it by adding on with us thinking we could stretch the Achilles and the plantar fascia and all of this sort of stuff. And effectively, we needed to put a ton, almost the weight of a car, to deform the Achilles tendon by 1% and the fascia, the associated fascia. And the second we removed the weight, it just recalled back to its original state. So the fact that there's therapists out there going, I'm going to release this or break down this with their elbows, their hands, we just physically can't apply the forces needed. And even if we could, we would have no long-term effect because the second we'd stop applying it, everything's back to normal. Yeah, and, and, and I do find it such an interesting bit, like you say, it's, it's all hypotheses and, and, and yet to be sort of furthered and things like that. Um, Agam, have you got anything? Question about all like activities and stretching and everything. So I'm currently trying to work on my flexion. You're going to hate this. What work my flexibility by like yoga to help me improve my saddle height. So I found that my saddle height is very, very low compared to what I think I would be. And my thinking is that what, what my goals are is to increase my saddle height by a centimeter or two so that I can help improve my the power transfer because you're lengthening the muscles better. Is that different in terms of the whole stretching the Achilles and the and with all like this compact carpet? carpet compartmentalized um, within a fascia and it's saying you need a ton to properly stretch it. Is it a different way? Of it? Is it, are those two different things or they, so are my aspiration goals a bit impossible? Or no, no I, don't, I don't think they're impossible. Um, are we going to gain a centimetre just from um, working on your Achilles? Probably not because the Achilles probably isn't as bad as, as um, you know, it, it, it just doesn't the fascial system doesn't link as much as it does there. What my advice would be on that one, I think it's it's a, it's a it's a, I like the hypothesis of why you're trying to do it. I agree with what you're trying to do. I think it's um, uh, most triathletes and cyclists could move better, and I think that's the key word here. Replace the word flexible with move better, move more efficiently, more effectively. So I would just step back and take like a a whole body approach, but with segmental aspects so i work a ton on athletes uh cyclists and triathletes around lumbar pelvic and thoracic spine mobility some of that could be seen as a stretch a lot of it would be mobility work a lot of it would be those yoga pilates type movements the flow type approaches um where we sort of step back and go I don't really know if I'm stretching a muscle, the fascia, the joints, the, the, the synovial tissue, or I'm just doing it all and I'm getting better at it by doing it all. So, so I think your goals are right and the performance thing is, is a valid thing we're trying to get. But I would sort of go, rather than working on the Achilles and then the hamstrings and do a bit of all of them and just go through some movements that will get you into those positions better because what you're trying to do is, is, is a really common problem with, with most cyclists. So it's more like the dynamic movement. Coupled with some of the other stuff, you know, you may well find that um, maybe there is some, some more range at the hip specifically we can get. Maybe there is more thoracic flexion extension we can get. 
even if it, even if we can't get them, this is this is going off on a tangent, but when I see a lot of guys with bike setups and bike related problems, when they feel that a lot of the problem is um, mobility or flexibility to be in a certain position, what we really start to find is it's the ability to tolerate the positions, the problem. It's not that we can't get into the position, it's we need to come out of it quick because we're not comfy there. So we work on those mobilities. There may even be a bit of strength work that needs to go into this so that we can not only get into better ranges of movement, but we can maintain them better as well. So, so, um, so hard to give you specifics without seeing you and assessing you, but, um, but don't rule out anything because it could be a little bit of all of it. Um, I've got one more question that's up a bit shorter. Um, in terms of the from the running perspective, does stretching have any impact on the dreaded S word um, stitch? <laughs> no, nothing at all. The, the stitch is, um, is still one of those bizarre things. It, it, it is crazy. Co take COVID as a really good example. You think how much we've learned about one virus in the last two years. You think how much we've learned about cancer in the last 50 years. And then you have these phenomenons out there like the stitch. We still know cock all about it, really, what it is, what the pathophysiology is. We don't really know. Again, we've got all these hypotheses of this sort of intercostal cramps and all of these sort of things. What we sort of know is we don't have any magic thing to stop it happening. And some people will re report that there's a magical twist or stretch they can do to, to settle it down. I've gone through the full works of people telling me, oh, if I change my lead leg, my stitch goes away. And all of these weird and wonderful things. And I'm like, do you know what? If that works for you, works for you. Ultimately, for most people, it's slowing down to a space that's slow enough to let it settle and building back up is, is the key for it. But, uh, but no, flexibility when you get a stitch or flexibility to prevent a stitch doesn't seem to have anything any substance to it at all okay thank you good question i've never been asked them before yeah and i, and I think that, that that brings it to a really nice close as well that's a, that's a very good question um, as we said uh, and so i think and um, unless i've asked anything i'd say that i'd just like to thank you again so much i don't think it could have been a better first sort of talk it, it was exciting interesting and, and absolutely useful so thank you very very much brilliant thanks for having me on okay so uh again a massive thanks to mike at the endurance physio for his talk this evening and again thank you for tuning into the jk journey podcast um if you like to remember to uh tell everyone about us obviously we are just launching and every little bit that you guys do is really beneficial to us um and yeah remember to follow us on instagram at the.jk.journey um, and remember to take a look at the website check it all out and if you are happy to sign up and come on board for all things training plans workouts yoga community sessions and community challenges giveaways and more that you've heard here um, do remember to sign up and we'll see you next week <laughs>